Right, hello, Major Steve Dre here and Major Josh Mickelson. And we're here to talk United States versus Isaiah L. Edwards, Airman First Class type. This case is about the limits on a victim's unsworn statement under RCM 1001 Alpha, now better known as what, Josh? 1001 Charlie. That's right. And we'll talk about that later. Let's get into the facts, though. Edwards is a grisly case. It's 27 March 2018, and Airman First Class Edwards is deployed to Guam as an electronic warfare technician when he brutally murders his roommate with a knife. He testified on the merits and claimed self-defense, but numerous government witnesses testified that prior to the attack, he had asked around about whether any of them could ever kill someone. He apparently did this multiple times, and people thought he was joking, as one would. One of these people was his victim, Airman Hale, and there's this particularly chilling exchange between them in early March where Edwards goes up to him and states in front of other people, and this is a quote from the Air Force CCA opinion, I think I could just kill Hale in the middle of the night. Airman Hale treated it as a joke, as most people would, raises his hands in the air and retorted, there's nothing I can do to stop it, taking it as a joke. But less than a month later, Airman Hale is dead brutally right stabbed multiple times throat cut and a general court-martial would later convict edwards of murder under article 118 the panel sentenced airman first class edwards to 35 years in confinement and a dishonorable discharge so let's talk the case why did calf grant this it granted it to review if the military judge abused his discretion by allowing the trial counsel to offer as the victim's unsworn statement a seven-minute-long video that the government produced that included a slideshow of 30 photos, three clips of the victim's parents answering questions about their son, and one clip that panned the family's fireplace, which was covered with family photos and mementos. This seven-minute video included acoustic background music throughout. So that's what the calf was looking at. Was that proper? The calf held that the military judge did abuse his discretion, and they gave two reasons for it. So first is that RCM 1001 Alpha requires unsworn statements to be either oral, written, or both, and that a video including acoustic music and pictures is neither oral or written and thus violates the rule. So they did a plain reading of the RCM and limited it to that text. Makes sense, right, Josh? Yeah, it makes sense. Just follow the rules, what CAF is saying. It seems like this is the sort of trend of, of the CAF that they are taking a textualist view of rules and statutes. And if the words are relatively clear and straightforward, that's going to be what, that's going to be what uh, sort of takes the day, right? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as you said, they've continued to follow down this line of cases. So now this is the fourth in a line uh, to include, you know, Barker and Hamilton and Tyler, where they essentially just read the rule uh, for victim statements in, in pre-sentencing proceedings. Right. Those, right. So this line of cases is, is generally talking about how this right is the right of the victim, right? And that's, and that's the sort of, that's the second issue that they get into where they determine that because the trial counsel produced a video on behalf of the victim's family, that video was, at least in part, trial counsel's statement rather than the victim's statement. The right to make an unsworn statement solely belongs to the victim or the victim's designee and cannot be transferred to trial counsel. And Josh, what do you think happened here? Yeah, I think uh, I like the word that the court uses with incorporated, right? Because I'm sure as trial counsel was going along and 
trying to put together um, their pre-sentencing case to, you know, represent the victim here. They were just trying to do their best and lead a little too far out ahead of their skis and just didn't read the rule. And so... Okay, but yeah, so you just brought up, uh, this is interesting, I think you're, I think it's a, a spot-on analysis here where you think about this sort of as a string of, of cases that are developing what this right to be heard means. You mentioned Barker, we're talking Tyler, Hamilton, and the CAF has just been hammering home this idea that Article 6B, this right to be reasonably heard, is exclusively the right of the victim. It's exclusively the right of the victim. And so here you've got just way too much participation from the prosecutor, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think it's an interesting, for those listening, the question is, well, where where is that line for, uh, you know, how much of a thumbprint can the government put on a case before it be incorporated into the government's case versus the victims? Is this the truly the victim's statement? Yeah, right. You said government's case. And that's that's an important distinction that I think is not always clear. I don't think it's super clear out there in the field, right, when you say government's case. Because how should we be thinking about a pre-sentencing case in a court-martial? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the easiest way to think about it is there's like three buckets of presentation, right? You have your government's case under 1001 Bravo. And they're going to be looking at aggravation generally, and then you have. And but let me stop you right there. Can the government, in its, in its case on sentencing, can the government ever enter an unsworn statement? No. No, the government has to call witness. If the government's going to put on a, a witness for aggravation, that witness must come in and be sworn in, right? Forty-two well, Bravo. You're coming in. You're swearing, and you're giving sworn testimony. And to that point, there's nothing that precludes the government from calling the witness or the victim, excuse me, and entering in evidence under those rules as well as as a sworn right. statement, a sworn testimony. Right. It's got to fit the bucket, though. Right. It's got to come in here. There's a case out there, US v. Scott, right, where the government had it's another example of this where the government called a what they called a victim to come in and give an unsworn statement during their their sentencing case in chief and it was unsworn and that's just like for those of you out there again like josh said it think about sentencing as three buckets you've got the government's bucket the government has different sorts of evidence in there has different sorts of options for evidence and matters that it can admit and use in a sentencing case but unsworn statements not one of them so that's just hard hard stop on that and what happened here was well let's talk about the second bucket right like because there is a second bucket Right. So that's the, the victim's right to uh, present matters. And as I think you pointed out earlier, Steve, that this is this arises out of Article 6B um, from the UCMJ. And so under 1001, Charlie, the victim, uh, gets to decide whether or not they want to present matters to talk about how this crime has directly impacted them. And that's a, a key word, right? Directly impact or direct impact to the victim. Um, and they get to put on the evidence they want. But then the court in this case, points out that there is a limit to how they can present that evidence. Right. And you said can put on what they want, but uh, a victim's right to be reasonably heard is limited to impact, right? Impact of the crime of which the accused was convicted. They can talk about that, how it impacted them and they can talk mitigation. Those are the two, those are the two sort of like buckets within the right to be reasonably heard bucket that a victim can offer. And here, what the, what the CAF is looking at is, okay, let's say that this was a proper victim statement under this right to be reasonably heard. 
what are the left and right limits of that? And as we discussed a few minutes ago, it's oral or written or both. And the calf said is that music and pictures are neither. Yeah. Right. All right. So, and then, right, we're talking buckets. What's the third bucket? It's the defense case. Defense case, right? Defense comes in and can put on evidence showing extenuation and mitigation. Only two, but a lot, right? Defense can get a lot of info in uh, during that. And another, I mean, right, uh, the accused can offer an unsworn statement. Yeah, I was going to mention that to put a bow on it because you pointed out that the government can't, but victim can and defense can. Right. You know, what happens in the end is if there's an unsworn statement, the other party can offer you know evidence and rebuttal they can refute things that somebody says unsworn but what like because the practical effect of having an unsworn statement is what essentially the practical effect is the 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 victim can't be or the defendant can't be cross-examined on that statement right and so uh this is where i think when you look at the cases that have come before tyler points out that you can still comment on the on this but it's not technically evidence is yeah, that whole about really Hamilton. weird thing. Sure, that's a right? that's a whole different thing. But the practical appli- or the pra- practical impact is uh, a victim in this case gets to uh, present how this case affected them, and there's no cross examination. All right, I like it. So let's let's go out. So the calf raises a point here outside of those two holdings, right? Like first that an unsworn statement needs to be oral or written or both, and there's a plain plain understanding of what that means, and two that the government really can't get as heavily involved as they do here in the victim's right to be reasonably heard. Can't get, you can't sort of usurp that role of the victim. Uh, the calf also, they raise an interesting question, but they don't conclude, they don't come up with an answer on it, but they ask about whether a victim would be ever allowed to offer a pre-recorded video. They don't answer this. They just make it clear. It's like, well, if you're going to add music and you're going to add video, certainly not. But what do you think about whether a victim would ever be able to pre-record a video that just say is just the victim state the victim is talking and they're talking about how the crime impacted them or they're talking about mitigation. Do you think of, do you think a victim could ever do that, Josh? Or what, what do you think we're, yeah, I don't, I don't see why not it, because you know, it's in the vein of kind of a, a written statement. Um, it'll be presented. Uh, I don't see the court being having a problem with that, but I, you know, you can't really guess how the calf is going to rule on, on some of these things because it's not really contemplated in the rule explicitly the i think one of the interesting things in this case though uh steve that we might talk on a little bit later though is just not only did they put stuff in the unsworn the pictures and the um and the music but it was also how the government used it and i think that goes to the second holding that that we'll discuss too and then how it was used further on what they they let it go back to the panel, which is the thing that kind of surprised me the most. Yeah, here. right. The, yeah, and you mentioned this, like, what is the status of this type? It's not evidence, it's something. But the government played it during their closing argument to effect. The trial judge thought eh, it wasn't really meant to inflame the passions of the sentencing authority. But the CAF says clearly, we think it did, that that was the purpose, that it was specifically created for that purpose in mind, which is improper. We're not trying to inflame the passions of sentencing authorities ever. And... The the court also. Go I ahead, think Josh. maybe just calf and the trial judge have different taste in music too, or something. They just looked at it differently. Yeah, looked at, looked at the looked at the music differently. And so, okay, so we've got. Let's just we'll close out with the the two holdings here. Again, the the court decided that the government. It noted that the government acknowledges that that music and pictures are decidedly not oral or written statements. 
right? So the CAF notes that the government's concession, because the government appellate attorney conceded at, at, at argument that certainly music and certainly pictures were not oral or written statements. And the CAF says that was undoubtedly correct. Okay, so let's so the, the CAF finds error here, right? They found that the military judge abused his discretion in two ways, by allowing the trial counsel to be you know, so heavily involved in the production of this and by allowing something that was not just a oral or written statement in. Uh, but then, you know, when an appellate court finds error, it doesn't mean they're not just reversing, right? They're doing a prejudice analysis in almost every case, right? There has to be some kind of effect of that error. And so here, the CAF conducted a prejudice analysis in the test for a error during sentencing like this is a four-part test to determine if the error substantially influenced an appellate sentence. Okay, so prong one here is the strength of the government's case. Two is the strength of the defense case. Three is the materiality of the evidence in question. And four is the quality of the evidence. And the CAF found the first two factors weighed in favor of the government. The Again, the facts of this case were grisly. It was a really violent murder and the defense case wasn't strong and so the the calf decided that those factors weighed in favor of the government but factors three and four the materiality of the evidence in question and the quality and the quality of the evidence the calf found that those went in favor of the appellant here particularly focusing on just the emotional nature of this video and they, there's this quote here that the video was no doubt intended to evoke a strong emotional response from the panel and that it was a time-intensive process, the creation of this video, that was intended specifically to influence the sentence. Okay, so the CAF finds this was, it exceeded the bounds of 1001 Alpha, now 1001 Charlie, and that that, that error contributed to the sentence that Airman First Class Edwards got. So the CAF reversed the sentence here and sent it back to the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals. The Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals can reassess the sentence in light of the error, or they can order a rehearing. They can send it back to the GCN to to try again. Josh, what are your thoughts on that result? What do you think? What do you think about Edwards? I think the I think it's important in cases like this, Steve. Like for me at least, when I read appellate law, like it's it's just you know words on a page sometimes, but. For some reason, Edwards sticks out to me, and maybe it's my you know former practice as an SVC or my portfolio here with victims' rights of the human element here. I th I'm just trying to get my head wrapped around this family whose son was murdered, and they participated in this trial, and now they're being told that uh, because there were pictures instead of words entered in, that this 35-year sentence of their son's murder was being set aside. And I, and I don't think the calf takes that lightly. And so I think the CAF with their with their ruling is messaging the importance of making sure that we as practitioners understand our left and right limits and that we are just not to be glib, but reading the, the words matter in the book, right? And we're reading the rules and applying them correctly. And so like I, I think about that and how um, impactful this probably is for, um, you know, the family, the victim here to go through this again, or even if they don't have to go through it again, just to be notified that that sentence was, was set aside. Yeah. I think that's well said, right? Like you said, like you read these cases and it, they feel almost mechanical, right? You're just reading the, the page and the emotion doesn't always come through. And that's a significant reality that it's important to think about. But I mean, like, Hey, the cap's not making decisions based on that, on the difficulty of pulling the victim's family back. Right. They're making decisions based on, did this error, possibly affect the sentence here and they said maybe we 
yeah, the test weighs in favor of the appellant. And which, when you when you think about it, they were sentenced to thirty five years for a brutal murder, right? Yeah, brutal murder. And you you think thirty five years is probably pretty fair. And so, what impact will did this video have? And the calf looked at it and said, "We can't tell. We don't know what the impact was, but we think it may have been significant enough." to pull the panel off that 35 years potentially. And so that that's my understanding of why they would have ruled. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they didn't send some to 50 years, right? I mean, there was some marker that they found. They settled on 35 and they had this inflammatory video that went back with them. And you said something, you know, you made a comment that we didn't really get into, but is it, an unsworn statement should never go back with a panel. It's not evidence, right? We talked about this a few times. An unsworn statement, whether it's the accused, whether it's the victims coming in under their right to be heard, that shouldn't go back with a panel. They get an opportunity to say it in front of the sentencing authority, and that's it. And here, not only was the trial counsel playing it during their sentencing argument, but then the panel took it back with them. And the CAF doesn't really discuss that. But but, but I think, you know, when we start talking about some of these other cases a little bit with, hey, this isn't evidence, and you, you pointed out in the, the facts that there was only one of these pictures that had been entered into evidence prior to... Right, 29 unentered... It, and images and so now this video goes back and it's when it goes back with the panel it's kind of put on par with any other evidence that's entered right and so does that shift now out of unsworn statement right, that's land a tough, that's a tough nuance to understand if you're a panel member and no matter how many instructions you get right like right. hey it's back here okay this is not ev- i mean as a lawyer do you feel like really confident that you can articulate the difference between evidence and non-evidence that comes in as an unsworn statement is kind of tough, right? We don't have a super clear understanding of that, I I think. And so, yeah, tough, tough to know how the panel dealt with that and the cat and Hey, four part test ends up in favor of the appellant. And now we're going to have a new, we're going to have a new sentence here. Well, we're going to have a new, either a new sentence or a new sentencing proceeding. I do think there's an interesting wrinkle uh, when you think about, so, with victims' rights, generally we think about special victims' counsel that have qualifying crimes, and obviously a murder isn't one of these qualifying uh, sex offenses, but what if the SVC was the one that had prepared the video rather than the government counsel? Does that, cha- in your opinion, do you think that changes the calculus here uh, at all? That's an interesting question. I, I, I mean, I think it changes the calculus a ton. Yeah, if that... If the SVC is representing the interests of the victim, I think it's kind of, I think it's probably implied that the, that's coming from the victim. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And I think that, you know, you know, as the court worded it, the incorporation into the government's case, you don't have that because the SVC works for the victim, right? So for those listening, uh, like practitioners, if you're an SVC, don't be afraid to help your client develop, you know, what they want to be said in their unsworn uh, because it may th- this this holding isn't for them. This holding is for the government leaning too far forward and not understanding where that line is, where they now have created content for their own case, and as you said, uh, Steve, usurped the victim's right to make that statement themselves. Certainly, some there's spillage here, right? Yes. Government trial counsel, the best practice: stay in your stay in your box on sentencing. Read the rule. Read the rules. No, think about sentencing like that. Three boxes. Stay in your box. And here, probably a good lesson. I mean, I, we're not being critical of the efforts here, but it's pushing where maybe pushing didn't need to happen, right? Because now we got this new sentence. All right, let's end X. Okay. I think yeah. just to finish up, counsel, you know, read the rule, understand your limitations, um, and know that that victim's statement is the victim's statement.